0: good morning everyone good to see everyone again Um, you I wanted to chat a little bit before we start but I will let you know our scripture today is going to be so if you want to put your fingers ahead of time we're going to be through Genesis 12 we're also going to be doing uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and then a little bit in Hebrews 11 so if you want to have three fingers there to mark your spots ahead of time we'll be going through those different passages few other ones but those are the main ones You know, I wanted to chat a little bit first is, uh, you know, like the deacons mentioned earlier, if you haven't figured out or if you're not regularly attending here, we're going through a little bit of a transition. Um, Our pastor moved to Florida to start another church. He was called by God to go and start another church. He started this church 10 years ago. And uh, I know a lot of us have heavy hearts the last few weeks. I know I have been working through that myself. Um, But this week I was really reminded of I could dwell on that, losing a friend, a mentor that I've had for the last four years, uh, training me up, preparing me to go and do my own, you know, my own thing as God's calling me to plan a church myself. And um, I could dwell on losing a mentor and things like that. um, But this week, so many other things happen that are just way outside that scope. People are hurting things outside of our control, really kind of puts it back in perspective perspective. I could woe is me, I'm losing my friend, and I'm, it's it's not even on the scope of some of the other things people are really hurting. Um, so God's already speaking to me about that this week. Um, but I really wanted to to talk a little bit, um, as the deacons, as we we're preparing the men who are going to speak for the next few weeks, one of the things we wanted to do was all talk about kind of relatively the same thing. We'll be different, we're different, so we'll have different perspectives in the way we speak. Um, but we wanted to try to stay on the same topic, especially for something that we're going through, a transition piece. So we wanted to talk around faith because we're going to need a lot of it as we go forward in this transition time, losing our pastor and, and what's next. So um, we'll, be, we'll be looking into what faith, what faith looks like and who drives your faith. That will be the title of what I'm looking at today. You know, during the war... During battle, the American French and Indian War, the American Revolution, soldiers were trained. They were given orders to shoot and take out the commanders, the leaders. Why would they do that? You know, those guys are probably ones riding on horseback with fancy stuff all over there. You know, the fancy hats, the red coats, the bright red, the gold. You, know, you could see them a good bit away, but soldiers were taught and trained to shoot out the commanders. Why? Because you take out a commander, the army, that group, they're hoping that there's going to be confusion. Chaos is going to settle in, and they've lost the guy giving them instructions on what to do next. Right flank, move, bring reserves up. I'm a big Gettysburg guy, so that comes to mind a lot. They shot the commanders. Um, we've lost our pastor, we didn't lose our commander right? That's what I want to remind us of today. God is our commander. You can't take him out. We can lose our pastor, our shepherd, but if he's doing his job, he's actually in communion with God, getting the instructions from God, and he's passing them to us. He's just relaying the message. So we can be sad that we lost a friend and a mentor and and a great guy of God who's, who's helped, you know, God's instruction to bring us all together and and build this church, not this building, but build this church. But our commander, our chief, is not gone. And we have to remember that as we go forward. We could start to panic. We could try to lead ourselves, right? Barry spoke about that a couple weeks ago. This is not the time for us to... Start all jumping up and saying, oh, "I have an idea, I have a thought, I have a solution," right? Some of us wouldn't normally do that. Other of us, a little stronger vocal people, might always have that idea. Um, I know I've had ideas and things, and I'd always go to Larry, and uh, he'd talk, he'd ch- show me, you know, this is good, this isn't, and why. And I respect his wisdom. We might not be the ones who speak up, but sometimes with us, when we feel like we're not in control is when we kind of all rush to have ideas. And Barry charged us with not doing that um, because sometimes when our shepherd is missing, everyone wants to, and they do it in good reason, help. We think we're helping. But if you see my subtitle, hopefully you all understand how this kind of connects, backseat drivers. Don't be a backseat driver, right? I'm terrible at that. I will admit that. My wife loves to drive. I don't really like to drive, but I do backseat drive. I feel like if a truck seems to be coming over, I I, I assume it's going to come in front of us and try to warn her. It's annoying, I know. Um, But I am a backseat driver in that, and sometimes when you don't feel like you're in control, we have the tendency to backseat drive and give instruction and help with good reason, but in good intent, but it's Right now we need to exercise, and what we'll be learning about today, hopefully, is the faith to trust our leadership in going forward. So before we get started, I did want to share one more story. I, I got to meet a pastor. Um, and this would normally scare me. Uh, I met a pastor. Uh, we were at Chick-fil-A for um, a, uh, a barbecue. It was closed on Sunday. We were at there, and my wife works there. And the owner's father is a pastor in the area actually at the United Zion Church in Palmyra, and I was like, wow, we play them in softball. Didn't even know he pastored there. Um, but there we play them in softball and uh, know some of their players. And uh, he was telling I knew he wasn't of that denomination. I was pretty sure they're either non-denomination or Baptist with where some went to school and probably something like that. And, and he did, he told me, he was not of the United Zion um, organization, but they reached out to him, he's a retired pastor, to come in. That usually doesn't work. Bring a pastor who's not even theologically set with the denomination of the church. I was like, wow, how does that work? And he goes, when he met with the leadership and they really liked him, they wanted to bring him on, he said, hey, I'm not theologically online with you guys. And as we see, when we're going to our pastoral search, that's going to be stuff we're going to have to talk through, Right? And he was very upfront, I'm, I'm not in a line with you. And they go, that's okay with us. And he goes, no, I don't think you get it. When I preach, my theological stances will come out. That's okay with us. They told him, I was like, oh my gosh, how does that work? And to make matters even more crazy, the retired pastor is still going to be there, sitting in attendance. I mean, that would scare me. Now, I'm new at this, so that would that would freak me out a little bit, to know... Feel it? maybe I'm being, you know, looked at a little different and, you know, that's not what we believe. In. And I would just struggle with that. But this pastor who I was talking to, he was, you know, retired. He's been doing it for a long time, obviously way more um, along than I am. But that would freak me out. And I was like, wow, that is nuts. I can't believe you did that. And he goes, yeah, that's exactly what my wife said. This is not a good idea. I don't think we should do this. But he prayed and he walked away from that meeting really strongly feeling that it would work. He just got a sense of a good feeling of faith that it would actually work, and it's been four years that he's been there. It just blows my mind. And I went to the guys of the softball team, and I, oh, they had nothing but great things to say to him about him. I mean, they love him. Um, and the funny thing is that he's like, I don't think they even know what they believe, even in their denomination, because it might have not been really taught. So they're just sponges soaking up what he's teaching, but. I just share that to say that, you know, sometimes we look at a bad situation and we don't look through it in the glasses of faith, you know? We just think, oh, it's not good and we would strive away from it. I know I don't think I would look at that pastorate, but (laughs) um, he was obviously more gifted and ready by the Lord. But I wanted to share that as we're going into this message and uh, what what faith, would God would call us to have faith. Before we get into the scripture, I want to define some terms. If you see up there, we need to get some working definitions of terms as we go on. So faith, when I say faith, what you believe, why you believe it, you might have an idea. But I took these definitions actually from just dictionary.com. Now the scripture that I have there will be the biblical definition of it. Um, but faith is a complete confidence and, and tr- or trust in a person or a thing. Complete is the word to me. Complete confidence in a trust in a person or a thing. I find that interesting. We say we faithfully, in faith, that we, will, we know God's going to bring the right person here, right? We're going to pray, we're going to ask the Lord to do that, and we will have faith that that will happen. Leader's going to come in, he's going to do things, he's not going to be the same leader that we had. He's not going to be Larry. There's only one Larry. There's only one Tim, thank God. There's only one of me. <laughs> right. Everyone has their own little personalities, their own little quirks. We've already gone through some changes and things have been great. I mean, Pastor Bryce left. I was helping him in the youth. We moved right along. I'm different than Bryce. I have a different way of doing things, but the youth has done great. We've been fine. It changes. Now, we've only known one pastor. That's why this is a bit different because he's planted this church. But complete confidence and trust in a person or a thing. The complete part is is what really stands out to me because we say that we believe God is bringing the right person, we pray and we search. They might do things a little different. It's that one that backseat driver mentality comes out when they do something, and it's always on, we major on the minor. It's always something little, right? That we don't, you know, it might, he might like to preach topical message when all we've ever really known is Larry goes exhaustively through the Bible. There's nothing wrong with either one, but we major on the minor because we want that control, backseat driving mentality, right? But if we have complete confidence and trust that that person is the one ordained and placed before us by God, I mean, why would we question that? But we do. And we do. Hebrews 11 would be the biblical definition now, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Pretty self-explanatory. But I always, and we'll see even when we move into the believing side, I'm a big movie fan. My youth group has heard things like this lots. But Santa Claus is one of my favorite movies. And in there, they talk about that believing isn't seeing, seeing is believing. I'll say that again. Believing isn't seeing. Seeing or seeing isn't believing. Sorry, I messed that up. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing, right? Many people say, "Well, I can't see that there's a God. Right? I don't see Him. Can't touch Him. I can't. I don't know He's here." But it's when you truly believe, like if you have, you know that He's there. You feel Him. He's promised to be with us. So let's move to the next definition. Belief. Confidence in the the truth or the existence of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. Kind of jumped a little bit on that, but let's look at John 20, 29. The biblical definition. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet believe. How much more faith do you exercise in something that you can't physically touch. See. Know that's there. Say we have faith. But are we really exercising it? And then the last definition. Works. Works and faith do go together. I'm not going to get into that today. That is not what we're debating or discussing or anything. But works do are there. Right? Because they come from our faith and look at the definition this is again this is dictionary.com activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result the work is the result of our faith it's the activity that we do because you can't see faith it's not tangibly to see it but you can see what the faith produces the work that's why that's very important Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. can't see the Father. They can't see that I believe in Him. I say that, and my testimony, my life, it's different than when it was before. They don't know me before. They don't see the difference. Right, We've gone through that before when we talked about evangelism. So my work is the way that I shine my light so they can see my faith because you can't physically see faith. That's why that's important. So I wanted to define those words as we talk about those. And again, this is a two-part sermon. So we're going to go through Genesis 12 and we're going to move along a little bit into some other stuff with Abraham, but I've been taught I've been preaching through, not preaching, I've been teaching through Genesis. Oh my. For the last Couple months in the youth group, we've done a chapter every week, and then we took a break because that was pretty daunting when you get to chapter twenty something. And then we went through five weeks of James, we did a chapter every day, and we've gone back to um, Genesis because it's just a lot to soak in for the for the youth, even for me. So we're back on in Genesis, but this is a story that we looked at a lot. Um, Abraham is father Abraham, right? We knew father Abraham. He was a pivotal person in, in the beginning, but he made some big issues. He, he made some blunders, let's say it that way. But he is, as we'll see going forward, he is in the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11. He's written in there. That's the book of faith they call it, right? He's written in there. So he had to do something right, but he did have some blunders along the way, so we're going to look at that. So Genesis chapter 12, if you kept your finger there. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a, ble- so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and his and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they had gathered in the people that they had acquired in the land of Haran. And they went out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of the Morai, at the time of the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offsprings I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going forward toward the Negev, and there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt and sojourned there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that I will... that." it will may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spear, spared for your sake when abram entered egypt the egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful and when they and when the princes of the pharaoh saw her they praised her to pharaoh and the woman was taken into pharaoh's house and for her sake he dwelt well with abram and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you not say, or why did you say, she is my, my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I think he got off easy. <laughs> um, wow, they probably just could have took, took him out. Um, so we see you there, if you were following along, that's a pretty big blunder right there, right? Point one, if you're following along on your, on your note sheet there, We have a mission. That's the thing. We might have lost our pastor. He was called away to do it. But the mission hasn't changed. The mission is still the mission. We have a mission we must keep doing. What was Abram's mission? Genesis 12, again, 1 through 5. I'll read it quickly since we've already just read it. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, kindred, and your father's house, and the land that I will show you. And you make a great nation. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Right? He was told to go. That was his mission. He didn't ask for the details. He didn't say, where's the next GPS coordinate? Where am I going to camp? Is it five miles down the road? And then we're going to pitch a tent? And then we're going to move the next day? He didn't have an itinerary. He went. God didn't even tell him exactly where he was going. And he didn't just pack up the minivan with two people, three people, four. It was a large group of people. It was his whole entire household, his servants, the animals, everything. Then it was his nephew's whole entire household. Servants, male, female, families, other families. It was a huge group of people that they moved. And it kind of sounds to me like they kind of just jumped up on his say-so. Because he jumped up on God's say-so. He didn't ask the details. What's that old additive that we ever heard a long time ago? The devil's in the details. We make it about those details. We gotta have everything aligned. That's us backseat driver mentality. Right? We gotta make it about ourselves. We have to take control. We wanna know everything. I'm not a control freak, but I am a backseat driver. So I do have a hard time not knowing. Trusting that the other person is going to see all those little details as they come out so fast at you when you're driving down a car. Especially on the highway when you have other cars and trucks that don't pay attention. But anyways, um, it's interesting. He jumped right up. He went. But as I said, as you see in the story, he made a blunder. And that's not going to be the only one. And it's probably not even the smallest one. And he even does it again. I just spoil alert there. But anyways, Um, Let's look at the next passage there, because Paul also tells us to the to the church in the New Testament, church of Corinth. He also writes, Corinth, the church Corinth, they were really heavenly minded. They weren't. They lost kind of the idea of the mission. They were seek. They were only fo- fixated on what was next instead of dealing with the what's going on right now. So Paul talks about this in Corinthians chapter five, one through ten. For we know that if the tent that is, our heavenly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for a while we were, are still in his tent. We groan, being burdened, that we are that not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who, is, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, whom has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we may always, so we are always of good courage. And we know that while we are are at home in the body, we are, are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. While we're in the body, we're away from God, right? We're doing these earthly missions. It's His mission. We're doing things. We focus on the details, right? That's, that's the misstep. We focus on the details, And Hebrews 11, um, yeah, Hebrews 11 will point out, I won't read that just yet, but to point out what Abram was put in there for. He just went. He didn't focus on the details. I already said that, but he didn't focus on the details. Think about it this way. I'll be honest. I'm usually very blunt and very honest when I speak, and if you haven't learned that already, uh, you'll know that now. Um, We will do ministries and we will set things up, but we will put a measurement to them. Right? We'll put a measurement to it. It's only a successful mission or an event if, I don't know, you finish the sentence. So many people get saved, or so many people come, or we did it this way, we followed all the instructions, everything went according to the plan, then it's successful. I don't think that's what God is looking for. What's the measurement of success? What is God telling us that the measurement of success is? That we go. That's it. Abram went and he made mistakes. But he went. And he did it. It's not about if, it, if our ministry... Let's take it this way. Music camp. I'm be honest. Music camp, standing in the, our new welcome area, my brother-in-law was there, and he was like, Wow, I feel like this is Hershey free. He was noticing everybody that he knew from his church that was coming in, right? He's like, Am I he's joking with me and he's like, Am I at the wrong church? And I'm like, I'll be honest, it went in my head real quick. Isn't this an outreach? Where's the where's the non-church people? And the Lord quickly smacked me because I am a testimony, I am proof. That not everybody that goes to church and grows up in the church is saved I wasn't I didn't get saved till I was 21 almost 22 how dare I how dare we think so small of God that we will do a ministry and we'll put a we'll put a, a, a measurement of success this is an outreach why is all the church people here why are we stealing cheap from that's a small picture of God's ability there, ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. I went to a church, wasn't saved. I went to a youth group. Really bad experience. They were so focused on the wrong things that they didn't even realize I wasn't saved. They bullied me, right? It was terrible. I even went on a mission trip, and that focus was so off, the mission was right there in the midst. There was unsaved people right there, but yet we had to drive, well, not drive, you can't drive there. We had to fly to Costa Rica to do a mission trip. The mission field was right there in their youth group. I was the mission field. Didn't happen. Now, I know it happens in God's timing, but I'm just saying, we have little faith, we think that just because church members or church people show up to an event, that that's not the mission field. It is. And we missed it. I missed it very quickly. I I was like, oh, you know, grumbling a little bit. This isn't what I wanted it. It's not about me. It's not about me. And when we start making it about ourselves, right, it's not about me. Not about you. Corinthians also, like we'll see, Paul also addresses this to the church of Corinth. there excuse me again I already read this but he who has prepared us for this very thing is God right he prepared us he's in charge not us he's given us the spirit as guaranteed so he gave us our helper so we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the Lord For we walk by faith, not by sight. When we make it about ourselves, we are walking by sight. The things we can control. The backseat driver mentality comes out yet again. Oh, we don't have all the papers outright. We don't have have checking. I'm just making things up. Not that any of that went awry, but we think like that. We concentrate on the, the details. Concentrate on the things that we can control. Now, we have to have structure. I'm not saying let's just flippantly show up here and slap something together and call it ministry. Some pastors do that. Some people do that. I'm not here to debate that. We do have to have some structure. But there's, you know, balance is the key to everything. So when you when you get focused, when your focus becomes on the details, and that's the measurement of success, that's when you've gone awry. That's when you derailed. That's when... You are trying to take control and drive the car. The conclusion, my sub point in A, the conclusion is determined in God's timing. We put a measurement on the success of a ministry. But wait a second. How do we know that 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 ministry is even done? You understand that you're a Sunday school teacher, you teach little kids you have no idea what they're going to do later in life. We we mentioned this before. The lady who was faithful and led Billy Graham to Christ, her ministry is connected to Billy Graham. Wow, there's a lot of fruit off that. So we can't put the conclusion on that. We can't have the measurement because the ministry is continuing. We don't know that a kid that showed up in music camp Maybe he was from another church. Maybe it's a similar situation to me. I didn't pay attention to those people. God wasn't removing the earmuffs, the blinders, for me to be prepared to speak to. His Holy Spirit wasn't working on me yet, maybe. Maybe that teacher didn't connect, but maybe that kid that came from another church, he didn't feel comfortable to go home to his friends and say, come to Sunday school. But maybe his buddy is in a band and likes music. It was a little less intimidating thing to invite him to. Maybe that helped. Maybe we aided in the ministry of another church. What's wrong with that? We're all fighting the same battle. We can't judge this, folks. I hope you understand where I'm going with that. We can't put a measurement on this. It's not done. It's not over. The ministry is ongoing. The event is done, but the the seeds planted. God is going to bring forth the fruit in His timing. We have no control of that. I'm looking at Luke, member of my youth group. He's a product of that. Two, three years ago, ever since music camp, Luke's been up here playing the guitar, plugged in. Who knows, maybe down the road he's going to be a, a music worship leader. That started right here, folks. That started from our ministry. We poured into Luke, he tapped into talents that he had, gave him the confidence. That's That, that ministry is going to keep going. You can't put a measurement. only conclusion is going to be drawn by God's timing. Move along a little bit. We have His promise. We will be blessed. Right? The conclusions are going to come in God's timings. So is the blessings. We have the promise. He tells Abram, I will bless you, right? Verse 3, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I've already read that a couple times, so I won't do it again. But, His promise, sorry, His promise, He promised us, His promise, and He gave us that helper, His Holy Spirit. He gave us the helper to aid us. To go along, and to guide us. So He will jump, to 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, who's going along with me there. And I already read this once before. He's given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as the promise, so we are always of good courage. Because times get tough. right? Ministry doesn't go the way we want it. Life happens. Circumstances come into play. We're in the body. We don't feel as connected sometimes to God. The Corinthians were looking heavenly-minded and He gave us His Spirit as a guarantee to continue to encourage us. And we know that while we're at home in the body, right, we're still with Him. So we can walk by faith, not by sight. Now as we, as we walk in His, if we, as we walk by faith, and we have, and it's not about us, Sorry, I lost my place. Give me one second. We have his promise and we have his blessing, right? We have his promise and we have his blessing. But the rewards also, the conclusion is, not in, his, is, is in God's timing. And the rewards are given in God's timings as well. As I mentioned that kind of before, the rewards. Okay, so he said he will bless us. Abraham was told he was going to have a, a nation made of him, right? He didn't have any kids then. He was 75 years old. didn't even have any kids. But he was going to be blessed. Well, he also, as we, let's think back through the story I read it earlier. He went in, he was about to go in the land. What happened? Famine struck. Famine struck. Big famine. He didn't stay. He should have stayed, right? He was told to go there. So famine struck. There's your first kind of fork in the road. Your first issue. Your first circumstance that hit. Abram, what did he do? He hightailed it and went to Egypt. Well, he's off path. He's off course. He's not even supposed to be there. Now he complicates matters even further. What does he do? He goes and now he's under the Egyptians. And he already knows what he's getting himself into. They're not even there yet. And he says, I expect this to happen. It's like me expecting that Mack truck to cut us off, and I'm jumping on my wife. Watch that! Watch that! Are you watching that guy? You know, right? That side seat driver. Abram already expected issues in Egypt, but he went there. He didn't stay where God wanted him to go. He got there, famine struck. He didn't have faith that the Lord would provide. I don't. That doesn't exactly tell us why, but he went to Egypt. Goes and he complicates issues even more. And he lies. Says, "Don't tell you, tell them you're my wife." Right? It's a pretty big mistake. But that's what happens when we take control. When we get off the beaten path in which we're supposed to be. How many of us do that on a daily basis? I mean, again, I've already admitted to you that I do it, so hopefully you'll think to yourself that you do it or that you might have done it before. The rewards are given... In God's timing, what derails our faith? I just started talking about the derailment of what Abraham did. Abram, at this point, what derailed him? If you're following along, what what derails our faith when we take control? What was the root of why Abram did what he did? Fear. He was fearful. He was fearful that they weren't going to be provided for, and they weren't going to have enough food. And that got, again, that's something he he controls. He felt fearful. The Lord's promise wasn't going to come in his time. Right? It wasn't going to come in his time. Oh, i got to control this. I'm scared. Fight or flight. Boom. Gone to Egypt. Sometimes the opposition is us. And we're going to go more into that next week as I as we hit another one of Abraham's big blunders. Spoiler alert a little bit is that we know if you have been in church for a long time the beginning that Abraham makes a big mistake with as it goes to the promise of a great nation. He doesn't even have any kids. So he takes the he takes matters into his own hands. We're going to see that next week. But what also is our opposition is ourselves. Take matters in our hand. We're going to see more of what the root causes of it. Right now in this message, at this part of the message, it's fear. It's fear. If we let fear drive our car, we make God really small. We put Him in a box. We handicap Him. God has already taken broken people and He's done many excellent things with him. He's doing it in me. He's doing it with you. Right? He already has shown that He can do that. He can take broken, wretched people and do amazing things. But we continue to make our God small when we control it, when we try to backseat drive. What's this song? What's a funny kid song? God is bigger than even the boogeyman. And we shrink him. We shrink him because we're too scared to allow him to actually work. We're too scared to actually, sometimes doing nothing at all is the scariest thing. It's the hardest thing to do nothing sometimes. To sit quiet patient, and wait on God. It's the biggest way you can give up control is to sit quiet. That's my hardest thing is to be quiet. You know me. I'm, I'm always talking. So quiet is not in my vocabulary, but patience. We can sit and be patient and quiet and hear God. We can't hear Him if we're, doing, we're talking and we're always going. Go, 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 right? Always doing ministry, doing activities, doing works. Because that's what we think we have to do. The little things that we can control. If you have faith, if you have faith, you can sit and wait on the Lord. But don't be of little faith. Know that you serve a big God. And if you don't know that already, I'm telling you, look at yourself. Perfect example. Look at yourself. Look at what he's done. Look what he did internally, personally, in you. That's already the work that you can look at. That's evidence. That's evidence that God is working, that he has worked, and he's going to continue to work. If you haven't already, so look the definition, right? If you haven't already put your complete confidence in something that's unseen. The time is now. I'm not arrogant enough to think that everybody here is saved. I don't know everybody here. And it's even smaller numbers than normal right now. So I'm embarrassed to say I don't know everybody here. But I don't know your heart. The Bible tells us we can't know our heart everyone's hearts right the most important thing that you can do at this moment don't wait if you haven't done it is to place that full complete confidence in something not seen which is the Lord Jesus Christ we haven't seen him we, we know about him through his word and there is evidence of his existence we just watched God's not dead number two in, youth, in the youth, this past couple of weeks, there's evidence to prove the existence of Jesus Christ the man. Historical facts and evidence. It's written in the Word. The Bible has been around. It's a historical book. There are archaeological things to go along with these writings in here that these people existed. But the part that people struggle with is the miraculous part of Jesus Christ. The Lord and Savior. Not the historical part. Right? That's the complete confidence that you can have. That you need to have. Confidence in in the truth. The existence. The definition of belief. Of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. It's a debate that's going to go on forever. Because some other people out there are very narrowly minded. But well, we have proof, but to get to that over that next hurdle of whether he's a miraculous savior, that's where people struggle. But if you don't have that faith, I challenge you to have that right now, today. Don't wait. Don't wait around on it. We're not promised tomorrow. Don't wait on it. Surrender. Give control. Get out of the driver's seat. Give control. Because he's going to do things that you can't do. He's going to take you in places that you can't go by yourself. You can't do it on your own. We are not capable of doing it on our own. We know that. We're not. But we have to have big faith in a big God, not a little God. We can't shrink him and maintain control. You can't do it. It's not going to work. I try. Maybe you have tried. I have tried. If you don't know my testimony, I'm only going to share a small piece of it. But when I got asked from a friend, and maybe you've heard this before, but when I got asked from a friend, what's stopping you from trusting in Christ right now? I said, I do this, I do this, I do this. I drink, I smoke, I do these things, and I can't stop. I've tried. I can't do it. That's because I didn't ask Him to help me. I can't do it on my own. But I didn't have faith at that time in something that I couldn't see. I kept trying to do the definition of crazy, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's someone who's addicted to things we beat our heads against the wall. Want to quit cigarette smoking? It's the hardest thing to do on your own. You need help. You have to first admit there's a problem, then you need help. But you can't do it by yourself. You have to give up control. It's the hardest thing for us to do, I think, is to give up control. We have to put our faith in in Jesus Christ. First, that's got to go first. If you haven't done it today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it in a second. Next week, we're going to look at a little bit more of the details. Again, I've already told you kind of what's coming next, but did you realize that I'm going to have more information next week, but the next blunder is obviously when it comes to the children of, of Abram. And I've heard this said before, and I'm going to dig, and maybe some of you already know, you've done through the, the historical facts, but Ishmael is com- comes up as of a result of them doing it on their own, taking it into their own hands. We have opposition today physically in the Middle East because of Ishmael, that have come from Ishmael. Because we try to do it on our own. On our own in our own timing, in our own control. The Israelites, Abraham, they did it on their own and now they had opposition for the rest of their lives. They're still fighting that battle over land because they tried to do it on their own. What battles are we fighting? What battles are you fighting right now because you won't relinquish control? Most of my application is going to come next week as we look at the actual different root causes of our opposition, fear and that stuff. But right now, so we walk out of here with something. What are you holding on to? Think through that this week. Pray about it. What are you holding on to control? What's causing you to backseat drive? Because until you admit there's something we need to work on, you're not going to be able to fix it. Well, you can't fix it. But you need to go and ask help for that. And we need to ask for it. But first, you cannot do it if you're already not saved. If you don't have that faith in Jesus Christ. So in closing, let me pray. And I give you that opportunity. If you haven't already put your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you to do that right now. it, It has to happen first. And then my next challenge to the uh, us of us who already have accepted Christ what are you holding on to what are you holding on to as your control what's that nugget that you're holding on and you won't give it up give it to him ask him to take it